And when you love someone, you want to know them better. You want to, you want to get to know them better. This should be our reason to read and uh, study all of God's Word, but especially, I think, the Gospels. Uh, because here we get, to, we get to hear the account of, of the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus of Nazareth. So far in the Gospel of Mark, um, we have heard at least the claim from Mark that this is good news. Uh, what he is writing is the gospel, which means good news. And we have heard that uh, Jesus himself is the good news, but that he is the good news because he came to bring about, remember, he came to bring about a new creation, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the opening uh, line from Mark's gospel and, uh, and Mark is signaling to us that he is recording here and reporting to us the story of a new creation uh, because the allusion is clearly to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. This is a, this is a connection that we must make and understand. Uh, either Mark is a fool uh, which we know he is not, uh, to start his book with the word beginning, or he has a true message here for us. Uh, could it be that Mark is no less than Moses, putting down with ink on paper the story of creation? It's a great battle in our own day, whether uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is, uh, is an accurate truthful account uh, of the creation of the world. And there are discussions to be had, probably even disputes to be had, and, and probably some disagreements to be reached. But Genesis 1 and 2 clearly tells us the story of the creation of the world. And that's really what Genesis means, beginning. Uh, and yet equally, to no, to no lesser degree, the Gospels record for us a new beginning, the history of how a new creation came to exist by the work of Christ. And just like the first creation, this new creation came about because God came. God arrived on the scene. God showed up and did a wondrous work. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but the very next verse says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so Mark is, is making connections for us. Uh, Mark is being exactly as bold as he, as he needed to be to tell us really what was happening when Jesus came. Mark doesn't give us the details about Jesus' birth and, uh, and his life prior to his ministry, but, but, but by the way Mark begins his gospel, he is basically saying that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. For however long Jesus lived before beginning his ministry, during that time, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. 
And then came the beginning. When God spoke. In Genesis 1, it just says, And God said, Let there be light. But in Mark 1, it says in verse 9, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And in verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And that brings us again then to the the miracles of Jesus. And I say again because... uh, We've already seen in the last passage, Jesus casting out Satan. I I think Mark records that miracle uh, first because it it goes immediately to the extreme. Remember remember that immediately is uh, is a favorite word of Mark. Uh, In Mark 1.18, immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. In verse 21, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And now in verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Again, if we understand Mark's allusion to Genesis 1 and the story of creation, then Mark's point is, is all the more clear. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so it was. So it existed immediately. That might actually be a detail, an aspect of, uh, of the story of creation that we miss. Uh, why do we miss it? Well, maybe it's because increasingly in our day we, we have what we want almost immediately. Immediately doesn't mean as much to us in our, uh, our instant society. Uh, if you can't remember who was president in 1948, well, just search it online and uh, immediately you have the answer. Uh, uh, Do you want your slice of pizza heated rather than having to eat it cold? Well, throw it in the microwave. Um, We live in, in an immediate age. But the message of Scripture is that God is the God of the true immediate. God does not wait for uh, a search result um, or for a microwave oven to ding. Uh, God has never waited a single second throughout all of human history. God does not wait. He, he acts. He creates. And, and He does so by decree. He does so by commanding it to be so that it is. And decree equals the results. Uh, the decree is reality. Even in the creation story, we, we are really hearing something of an anthropomorphism. As we say, we're, we're hearing about God, about his, his being and His actions, and we're hearing about it in, in human terms. Because when it comes to being a human king, there is always a delay between the command and the carrying out of that command. But while with human kings, there may even be a long delay while his servants uh, have to make the arrangements for, for what the king wants done. 
with God, there, there is no delay. There is no chance that it won't be done. This is what we are supposed to be hearing when we hear that God said, Let there be light, and there was light. But there is an exception to this. As we, uh, as we see Jesus begin his ministry. The first miracle that Mark records is Jesus casting out a demon. Mark 1.21 says, And they came into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. In verse 23, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, so that Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. But then it says this, and, and it's quite easy to read right past this, but it says uh, immediately next, uh, the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. We, uh, we shouldn't miss the details. If Jesus said, be silent... And come out of him, why was the spirit able to convulse the man and even cry out with a loud voice before coming out of the man? If God said, let there be light, so that there was light, and if Jesus is God, then why was this spirit able to convulse the man and even to cry out, even after Jesus had said, be silent, and come out of him. Well, the details, as I said, are important. The point is being made that, that while the authority of Jesus is even a divine authority, yet Satan does have his authority in this world. Satan has to obey Jesus, but Satan also has a measure, even a significant measure of authority in this world. This is what we are hearing when the unclean spirit said to Jesus, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The unclean spirit was, in a sense, challenging Jesus. And, and in one sense, uh, it was challenging Jesus on, on legal grounds. Uh, which is to say Jesus did not destroy the unclean spirit, and yet he did, in fact, cast it out. In another story, one that you probably know better, an unclean spirit even sought permission from Jesus to be allowed to enter into a, a herd of pigs. I think that's what we say, a herd of pigs. Um, and Jesus granted the, the request, which, which shows the same two things. First, that Jesus is God with authority over the evil one. Second, that Satan has been given a certain authority and a certain time in which to exercise that authority. And this is important for our, our understanding of salvation. If we, in, if we indeed have salvation from, from Jesus in, in the flesh, we are under the authority of Satan. You belong to your father, the devil, said Jesus in John eight forty two. And yet Satan is under the authority of Christ. Always has been, always will be. 
and Christ can cast out Satan whenever and, and wherever he wants to, the question is whether he has done so for you and, and for me. It's not easy to admit that you are a sinner. It's even harder, I think, to admit that uh, to admit what God's word teaches that it means to be a, a sinner. Sinners are slaves to sin. Sinners are the possession of the evil one. And it's only Christ, even Jesus of Nazareth, who has the power and the authority to cast out Satan. We may want to think and to say, uh, oh, that, uh, you know, that, that demon possession stuff, that, that, that was just around in Jesus' day. No, it's... It's the reality of your own status and of my own status unless we are delivered by the Jesus who has the power and the authority to say, be silent and come out of him. And so from the greater to the lesser, after Jesus cast out a demon, as the first miracle of Jesus recorded by Mark, Next, Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter. In verse 29, it says, And and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It would seem that, indeed... Here is the greater to the lesser. The point that Mark seems to be making is simply that that Peter's mother-in-law was was sick. Uh, How do you know when when you are sick? One symptom is that you have a fever. Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. She was under the weather, as we say. Uh, She wasn't nigh unto death. Uh, she wasn't knocking at death's door, as, as, uh, as we say. She just was not feeling well. And so when Jesus healed her, we, we see that, that our problem in sin is, is not just that we are under the authority of Satan and bound for hell. It seems a little strange to say that we are not just under the authority of Satan and, and bound for hell. That's the extreme of sin. That's the eternal uh, end of sin. But in the meantime, we are given to illness and, and to weakness. But Jesus has authority here as well. Verse 31 says, And he came and, and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and, she, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It was a miracle done. From the greater to the lesser, and it was a miracle done to show that that even now, as, as we are healed by Jesus, as we find health and strength in this life, yet Jesus heals us, Jesus sustains our lives so that we might serve him. Given our culture, what might be the reaction to this? Uh, Jesus healed her so that she might serve him. Couldn't she at least have had the evening off after, uh, uh, after being sick? Well, maybe, but, but that misses the point, that, that whatever we receive from Jesus, is this your 
faith? Is this your perspective that whatever we receive from Jesus, whether healing from a bad cold or deliverance from hell, the point is to serve Jesus? But then we are told that Jesus heals many. From one demon-possessed man to Peter's mother-in-law down with a fever to the many. Verse 32 says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And, and, and why wouldn't they be gathered together at the door? Verse, verse 28 already reports that at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Here is the, here is the evidence against the, the miracle healers in our own day, if it was really happening, that revival has broken out in Choose the City, in Oklahoma City, or in Tucson, or in Boise, Idaho, um, if it were really true that people were being healed by the thousands, then there would be another gold rush with another kind of gold. But that doesn't happen, does it, in our day? The claim is for one or two miracles. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. But this, but this is something that we, we need to come to terms with in our understanding of Jesus' ministry, that, that hundreds were healed, thousands were healed. So many were healed that in some regions, surely there was nobody left to be healed. So many were healed by the work of Jesus. And, and, th- and this is what Mark is recording and, and reporting to us, that, that, that they, and we need to listen and, and hear this, they brought to him all who were sick or pressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Again, this is an aspect of our Lord's ministry that, that somehow we, we neglect to focus on and, and fail to understand the, the sheer number of miracles, the great multitude of those who were healed. All the gospel writers do the same thing. They do not fail to record the scene of an entire region of the world where there was no one left to be healed. From demon possession to the common cold, arthritis, diabetes, cancer, asthma, whatever ailment. It was like the, it was like the snake oil salesman selling the bottle that says, for whatever ails you, except, of course, that Jesus really delivered. Why is this so important for us to see and hear? For a couple reasons. First, it shows us the divinity of Jesus. Mark introduces us, uh, introduces uh, Jesus to us in verse 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark reports how God the Father gave testimony to the divinity of Jesus by sending John the Baptist to prepare the people for the, for the divine coming of Jesus into their very midst. But these were not empty claims. This is not Mark trying to sell us something. Here is the evidence of the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus said, be silent and come out of him. Uh, 
that Jesus took the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and lifted her up so that the fever left her and she began to serve them, even more that he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Well, second, it shows us, does it not, the sin of man? That even after Jesus had cleared the land, I think it's fair to say, it's not an exaggeration to say, that Jesus cleared the land of all illness, and yet they crucified him. Imagine the stupidity of that. After healing them, after loving each of them, after feeding them, yet, what did they do? They abandoned him. They deserted him. They went along with the the jealous leadership uh, of Israel and yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, remember Pilate was even like, you know, you, you want me to crucify your king? Pilate knew who Jesus was. Pilate knew what Jesus could do. He was perplexed by their request. Why would you want me to put this man to death? Well, release for us Barabbas, they said. But put to death the very one who has the power to keep us from death. Here is, here is the teaching of God's word regarding the power of sin and the authority of the evil one over us. Satan has us so blinded, so deluded, so bound by his authority and even his possession that left to ourselves, we choose sin. We choose slavery. We choose death itself rather than turning in faith to the one who can deliver us and usher us into heaven. All of this to say that if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's only because he has said to Satan, on your behalf regarding you, he has said to Satan, be silent and come out of him. Be silent and come out of her. Hollywood makes demon possession some bizarre thing that makes your face turn pale and your head spin all the way around. But the teaching of God's word is that sin is possession. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin, said Jesus. And he said so not because he had any intention of of leaving sinners in their slavery to sin, but he said so to convince them of sin and to deliver them from their sin. Well, so it is that we see Jesus beyond his great miracles, beyond his immediate authority to cast out semen, uh, Satan and, and to uh, heal all diseases. We see Jesus focused on prayer and preaching. So stop and think about it. If Jesus only came to heal and, and, and cast out demons from individual sinners, then why didn't he just do that? What is the significance of, of all of this happening in, uh, on, in, in, only in some tiny, tiny little region in, in some obscure part of the world? Why didn't Jesus travel to Rome? 
I mean, that's a legitimate question. If, why didn't Jesus travel to Rome, to India, to China, uh, to what would later become the United States of America? The answer is crucial for our understanding of Jesus and for our salvation. Think, <clears throat> think about it. The very people that Jesus healed went on to get sick again and ultimately to die and, and to go to the grave. And the question is, is, is that all we want? To be healed of a, of a bad cold or even of our cancer? If we are healed of, of our cancer, we're still going to die. Why do we want so little? Why do we think that maybe there's a church somewhere where miracles are being done? Well, well fine, go, go find that church. If you hear about it, buy your ticket, uh, pay your plane fare, spend the time getting to that church. Maybe, just maybe, you, you will be healed. But so what? You're still going to die. And your body is going to rot in the grave. Or you can be cremated, and that makes it all better, right? So here's the meaning. Here's the significance. Here's the good news of these words about Jesus in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. From our perspective, as, as we are given to love death, what a foolish thing. If Jesus had the power to heal, why didn't he, why didn't, uh, why, why, why doesn't it say that the next day Jesus got on a ship and, and, uh, and set sail for Rome, for India, for, for China? Because the miracles of Jesus were were only the backing to his claims. And his claims were only the backing to his true purpose, that he had come to go to the cross. Only by his cross does Jesus become anything more than the healer of the common cold. If you have a bad cold, I I, I hope you feel better. I really do. If you have cancer, I hope the chemo works. But even if you survive today, what about tomorrow? What if the cancer returns? What if you get hit by a car? What if you get gunned down in the street? We need a Jesus who prayed and who preached the Word of God. Because God's Word certainly prophesies the coming of of a miracle-working Savior. And God's Word certainly tells of how that Savior came and proved His identity and His authority by His many miracles. But the same Word of God charges you and me with sin. And the same Word of God sentences us to death and yet proclaims to us that Jesus was more than a momentary worker of miracles. He was and He is the Savior who lived and prayed and preached the truth of God's Word. In verse 36, the disciples of Jesus managed to find Him, and they said to Him, Everyone is looking for you. Here's your chance to, to, uh, to be what the people want you to be. Glory and fame are yours. 
and, and ours too, by the way. But Jesus said, let us go on to the next towns. I, I need to preach there also, and that's why I have come. And, and he went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It wasn't that Jesus was uncaring, but he wasn't just one man healing thousands, but otherwise leaving the world to stay under the sway of Satan and the suffering of sin, only by going to the cross. And that, of course, is where Mark is, is, is leading us, to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Only by going to the cross would Jesus become the Savior of the world, the Savior of Rome, and the Savior of India, and the Savior of Russia, and the Savior of China, the Savior of Terre Haute, the Savior of every land and every nation on the face of the earth. But the most immediate question, to come back to that word, Immediate. The most immediate question is whether he is the Savior of you. What does a man who lived 2,000 years ago in an obscure part of the world, what does he have to do with you? Well, he has to do with you by way of his identity as God in your own flesh and by way of his miracles to heal thousands but also by way of his dedication, not just to heal, but to die and to rise again for you. That's what Jesus has to do with you. That's who Jesus is, even yet today, to us. And so let us continue in the Gospel of Mark, getting to know our Savior and asking hard questions and finding glorious answers that here is God in our own flesh. Here is the one promised by God who now has come and in whom we can put our faith and be saved from our sin. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus and as we continue in Mark's record of his coming, his, his identity, his, his miracles, his uh, compassion, uh, and yet his dedication uh, to preaching your word and fulfilling uh, the fullness of why you sent him. O oh Lord, we pray that we would more and more love this man and uh, uh, commit ourselves to uh, to living uh, for this man, this Savior, who is even God in our own flesh. And we just pray that you would uh, give us such a keen interest in Jesus, that we would always be wanting to know him better, to know him more, and to, and to love him more, uh, understanding uh, all the more uh, his great love for us. We pray that uh, you will continue to bless us in your word uh, each and every Lord's Day and throughout the week as well. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.